0: This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more
1: ways than one. Bob Dillard. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. You threw the buns a dime in your prime, didn't you? People call, say, beware, doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all kidding you. You used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out. Now you don't talk so loud. Now you don't seem so proud about having to be scrounging around for your next meal. How does it feel? How does it feel to be without a home like a complete unknown, like a Rolling stone? This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the FM podcast network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us once again to talk about the Titanic, the epic, the eternal, like a rolling stone from 1965's Highway 61 revisited is returning Bobcat, Rebecca Slayman. Hi, Rebecca.
0: Hello. Thank you so much for having me on this monumental podcast. I'm so happy to be back doing something that is universally agreed upon to be great.
1: (laughs) Well, that was what I was going to get to, is that your your two previous appearances on the show, you chose to cover some of the less heralded aspects (laughs) of Bob Dylan's career. Let's be nice about it. We talked about the Hearts of Fire movie, which <laughs> yes. still one of the most fun conversations I've ever had because that movie is bonkers. And then, uh, for your second appearance, you talked the boxer, Bob's covers, mm-hmm. Bob's, the uh, unusual cover of the boxer from self portrait. But so when I invited you on the show, you know, to come back, I mean, we got to meet at the, the Tulsa conference, which was, which was wonderful. And I wanted to have you back on the show. And then I said, you know, whatever you want to talk about and you went the other way. You went the other way. You know, there's that Napoleon quote from the sublime to the ridiculous is but a step. And this is the reverse of that because you picked an unassailable song in the songbook, considered one of the great rock pop songs of all time, like Rolling Stone. So, okay, (laughs) why this one, Rebecca?
0: Well, I have to, I have to make talk directly to the listeners right now. I give a list. And it seems like you wanted to argue with me a little bit for the first two, just because it's more interesting uh, radio or podcast. So I feel very honored that I am allowed to talk about this iconic song on your podcast. It's the best. But I also, I feel like I deserve it. (laughs) I kind of feel like Maybe the song's about me a little bit. Or at least that's what I thought when I first discovered it. I'm like, you know, I kind of enjoy Bob uh, scolding me in this way. It's it's kind of refreshing because that's what the song's about. You know, everyone says it's, uh, you know, a screed. It's really nasty and mean. But there's a bit of empathy in it that I'd like to talk about more.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and to your point, you've done your bit for Bobcats Everywhere by taking mm. – taking the <laughs> taking the heat for loving hearts of fire in the boxers so yeah you've earned it you've earned it i think mm-hmm. you did you sent me a list of what songs you wanted to talk about and when this was on your list i just zeroed in on that i was like <laughs> this is just too good rebecca slayman on like a rolling stone it's just too good oh. a show note sentence to pass up on so that <laughs> i'm so uh, honored really. yeah i just could not turn it down now of course we, I talked about this song way, uh, way, year, way years ago. That's not a thing. <laughs> a couple of years ago when I did our first and so far only live episode with uh, music critic Tom Moon. And that was a, that was a really fun conversation. But of course, this song is so huge. It looms so large, not only in Dylan's canon, in the canon of mm-hmm. popular music that you can't get to all of it in one show unless you did like a five hour show, which we're not going to do everybody. <laughs> but, and that to me, that's, Normally, that's daunting and it kind of makes me. I don't know if I want to cover, but because it is so big and there's so many angles to take, it's almost like, well, we, it's, you can just kind of focus on a couple of them and maybe have another conversation down the line and another aspect because it is so huge. Now, you said when you first heard this song, do you remember when you first heard this song?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess not really because it's always been around. I've probably heard it many times before I actually heard the words. Um, but yeah, you know, I've talked about it previous times I've been on here. I'm sort of a newer fan, but you know, the years go on. Um, so yeah, I was just out of college in 2020 when my Bob Dylan obsession really started. And at that point I had been living the high life in New York city. Uh, I was at college. I was having a great time. I was like, it's my senior year. I've done everything right. I'm going to get to live in the city and I'm going to have a great job and everything's going to be great. And then (laughs) boom, (laughs) you know what happens in uh, March of 2020, Mm. I get sent back to New Jersey, back to my parents' house. And, you know, it was just wide open to receive this message of like a rolling stone where, man, you should have seen something coming, right? It was bound to all fall apart at some point. So I would just like get in the car and not go anywhere, plug in my phone and listen to the live version of like a Rolling Stone, like over and over again. And it was kind of cathartic in a way. So that was my first relationship with it.
1: Uh, No, so you said the live version, which live version?
0: The Judas version.
1: Okay. The best version. It it
0: got so bad that I would listen to that version, like so much that when I would listen to the album, I was like, Oh, I don't know about this, but eventually I appreciate it too. Yeah. I mean, I, the energy, the vowels, the yelling is just so much better (laughs) in the live versions.
1: (laughs) That's, that's really interesting that that would be the, the, your takeaway from hearing the, the studio version versus, I mean, yeah, you can't argue that the, the Judas version is, you know, a moment in pop culture history. Hearing, Mm -hmm. hearing this guy yell this. You know, yeah. and then Bob's response to the play fucking loud and then to go on, you know, they go and so they tear good. into it. Um, it's so
0: good. It fuels, it fuels everything, the passion of it. Although I will say that when I eventually got my hands on the, the cutting edge and listened to like all 25 or whatever studio takes of that, that was the moment when I was like, okay, yeah, I think I'm really getting into an obsession with this guy, <laughs> like mm-hmm. to an unhealthy degree, perhaps. But that was like, you know, that was very important in its own way. And to me, falling in love with Bob.
1: Absolutely. Um. One of the things I thought that was so instructive about hearing. I mean, look, we're all obsessive fans at this point, And we want to hear every single, you know, note that he's ever laid down, no matter how, you know, mm-hmm. kind of tossed off it might be. But mm-hmm. but when it comes to the Rolling Stone version, especially like the that early kind of demo, not a demo, but that early piano take mm-hmm. that's on the bootleg series volume one to three. And it's just kind of amazing to me when you hear that and he's just kind of plinking Mm -hmm. and he's kind of doing, it's, it's in the waltz time. And, you know, and of course his voice is all shot. He's like, didn't you? (laughs) You And it's just this sort of, you can't even call it half-assed. It's like a quarter-assed. He's just so kind of, but you hear that and then you compare that to what the finished version is. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's like, I can't believe this is the same thing. I can't believe this, this thing that sounds so like nothing. And Mm -hmm. then it's transformed into this other thing. And it's, one of the, you know, the one of the you know greatest six minutes in pop culture music history. It's just the transformative nature of it, of just the performance is unbelievable. And, you know, the guy gets a lot of uh, crap from us, Bob fans, rightly so, for giving up on what we perceive our masterpieces, you know, whether they're by William Mctell or Caribbean wind or whatever, Mm -hmm. where he just goes, and I never, but when it's something like this, and even recently we just talked on the show about too late, you know, slash foot of pride when it's something that he knows is there. He knows he's, he knows there's something here he'll keep working at. I mean, he will. I mean, imagine having the self-discipline to do 20 takes of a song. That's just frustrating. and, and, you know, be around episode, you know, uh, take 12 and you're not getting it. That's gotta be like, Oh my God, what am I doing with my life here? I can't get this.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I really treasure that we can see that whole process. And including when he says, like, through the bums a dime. That is just really great for us fans. Uh And yeah, he works on it so hard that it basically never changes again, once it gets past that final version. I think the only thing that changes is when he sings it live, he says, exchanging all precious gifts and things, better take your diamond rings, which I think is a better rhyme. But other than that, it's it's pretty solid from that that final version.
1: Yeah, once he honed it down, um, mm-hmm. I know that like there was there was there's one. I don't think he ever sings this, but there's in the the lyrics famously that this was boiled down from what he sometimes said ten pages, sometimes mm-hmm. he said twenty pages. But one of the refrains was the with the rhymes. What it was, uh, you know the. Uh, to be on your own no direction home, like a complete unknown. One was uh like like throwing a dog a bone. Which is, <laughs> like, thank God that did not make it. Yeah. The final
0: that is that is not one of his finest lyrics.
1: <laughs> that was just you would just start laughing like trying to with no direction, throw a dog a bone. you like, <laughs> What? What, what like, you know, what, what he's doing? So Bob knew how to edit mm-hmm. his language at that point, which is felt you know, really good. <laughs> So, I mean, so what is it about, what is it about this song? I, I I, mean, look, we all love Bob's material. We all find it to be fresh, no matter how old the songs are. But this song, to me, every time I listen to it, it, it does, it sounds so corny, but it does feel like you're sort of hearing it for the first time. And it, it actually, just the other day, it happened to be on the radio of all, uh, well, Series XM. But I mean, it, it was, they don't play a lot of Bob. Even they mm-hmm. don't play very much Bob. And they usually don't play Rolling Stone. But out of nowhere, they played it and it just. I cranked it up. We were in the car, and I cranked it up, and it's just like, God, this thing just doesn't age. This mm-hmm. song, and it's like, how did he do that? I mean, what, what is it for you that makes this so, uh, just you know, like, just again, like, angels?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting how it is so tied into like the mythology of Bob Dylan. So, like, when when he was blowing up for going electric and everything, it was like this and positively fourth street is what people cite as like, this is the Bob Dylan attitude. Like it's, Mm. it's cutting and it's, it's kind of mean and it's different than all the other pop fluff that was playing on the radio at the time. So I think that has a lot to do with like, it's staying power in the culture, but as a song, it is, Something that appears so simple at first and it grows each time you listen to it. Like you said, like it seems like, like it's something that's sneering and there's like a, a sort of victim in this song, but it's not that straightforward. If, if you zoom back out to the structure of it, the chord progression, the way it kind of explodes into this chorus of like crescendo, how does it feel? It's like, it's a question and it's about growing up. And it can apply to so many different things, even though it's about one specific person in the song. It's like we're all going to come to that point in our life where we get kicked out, where we get out of the the mainstream and we wake up and we see just what what's been fooling us, what's been keeping us back uh, even. And it's kind of it's it's cathartic, like the way that I was drawn to it was this catharsis of. You could admit this truth about the world. You can, you can look back and see the ways that you were foolish when you were younger. And I feel that in some ways, the song might, might have been autobiographical for Dylan. Cause how can you get so inside this feeling, inside this question of how does it feel if you haven't experienced something like that too? And you know, as he's moving away from the folk movement towards his own path he sees all these fake people around him um but again it's it's more than that it's like a bigger idea of of growing up of maturing um and of empathy
1: that's a uh, a marvelous observation because i have i've always thought something similar here i just realized i'm complimenting myself that was a great observation because i share it (laughs) but uh, but but i i when I was coming up and becoming a Bob fan and I was reading a lot of books about him, right. There was so, and you know, a lot of the books I read were were terrific, but there was so much bandwidth seemingly by Bob fans wasted on who he was talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, even from the beginning, I never cared about that. That never seemed important to me. That it was, you know, like, you talk about Joan Baez, right? Maybe he (laughs) is, but what, who cares? That's not what we're, that's not the, the song has gone beyond that, what Mm -hmm. it, what it might be. But I, and, and related to his other, some of his other songs, I always find that he, he reserves his most withering criticism towards himself, not Mm -hmm. other people as, as tough as he can be. I mean, certainly positively 4th Street, which you just mentioned is brutal, Mm -hmm. but I always find that he goes after himself harder. Then he goes after other people. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, and knowing what we know about his career at the time is that he, you know, coming back from the uh, European tour, which we see and Don't Look Back, and that he was feeling like, what am I doing? You know, what yeah. is that? Am, am, I, am I really headed in the direction? And then he writes this thing and he finds that it's a breakthrough. But yeah, I've always sort of thought that, at least in terms of the inspiration, this was about himself, that he's singing to himself. He's calling himself Miss Lonely. He's talking about all these things that maybe he's, fallen for because of course at this point he's becoming a superstar and he's mocking himself a little bit and he's just inquiring to himself how does it feel and you know i said this on the live episode is i feel like i honestly as much as you can value judgment any of these things i think this is his greatest work this single song because i feel like in some ways the question how does it feel encompasses all of his other songs Mm is that question Mm -hmm. though he's asking you the listener and he's asking himself. And that's ultimately what he what he's almost always been about. How does it feel? Mm-hmm. In any given moment, how does this feel? I this is how I feel. This is how I'm putting it down. And I have the skills and the creativity to put it down in a way that makes mm-hmm. me unique. But basically I'm asking the question of everybody. How does it feel? And when you sing along to it, again, it's for such a long song, it's so immensely, immensely sing alongable to mm-hmm. That that part is is so marvelously cathartic to break it, and when you think about that, the you know the verse lines are so complicated with all these crazy characters and the Siamese cat and the (laughs) no all, and then to boil it down to something as simple as how does it feel? Yeah, how does it feel?
0: It's like a revelation. It's like. The, it's describing a moment of revelation and it's asking the listener to also like use your brain and, and take stock of how you're feeling in that moment. It's really like kind of meta. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, Dylan with his, his marvelous internal rhyme schemes is, is makes things so, uh, you know, kind of fun to sing along to. I mean, the, you know, opening up, first of all, opening up with once upon a time immediately <laughs> sets it on this you know, wonderfully timeless thing of once upon a time. It's like a children's story, you know, once upon a time, but then time, fine, you know, mm. bums a dime in your prime, didn't you? And you're just, you know, we're all, we're two lines into the song. And you're already like, God, I've already been hit with about five different rhymes <laughs> that he's throwing at me like, wait a minute, hold on, let me catch up here. Before you, know, before you even think about that, he's already moved on to people call, beware doll, you're bound to fall. Like it's just the, just the amount of, stuff that he's throwing at you is just so overwhelming and, and energetic energizing, you know, it yeah. it feels like, wow. You're just like, yeah, suck me into this. And as the music is pushing me along and, you know, the opening uh, gu- gu- guitar on hard days night mm. is many people have said is like the most iconic opening to a song that <laughs> they you know it, it heralded the changing of the culture that, you know, that yeah. bit. And I remembered a bunch of years ago. I think it was, was it Justin Bieber? Or was it, uh, it was somebody, some recent, ra- did that. Uh, like a Super Bowl halftime uh-huh. show. And they, they got into, people were like, how dare they do that? How dare they reappropriate? <laughs> it might've been Justin Timberlake. And it was, but it yeah. was, there was this controversy sort of of like, how dare they reappropriate the most famous guitar strum in rock history? But to me, that snare drum that, you know, people again have called it like, sounds like a rifle shot. Yeah. It's so, it's just so what an unbelievable way to start it. And then boom, off we go.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like, I feel like of all the images in the movie, I'm not there when Cate Blanchett takes the stage and then they all turn around and like shoot the crowd. That's exactly (laughs) like the imagery you're getting from this sound at the beginning. It's like, Bam.
1: Get out of the way. <laughs> and, you know, there is something, you know, you mentioned about uh when you were in New York and having to go back to, <laughs> you said kind of resignedly in your voice, back to New Jersey. As someone, <laughs> as someone who has lived in New Jersey uh, since the 70s, I can totally appreciate that when you leave New Jersey, having to go back to New Jersey is not, it's not the move you want to make. <laughs>
0: Not until, like, maybe I'm a bit older. I still got a lot of New York living in
1: me. (laughs) I could just hear it in your voice. I went back to New Jersey. Like, Yeah, yeah, it's not... That isn't exactly what you want. So I I totally, totally appreciate that. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there is something so, again, so wonderfully marvelous about the the, the sort of freedom that you feel Mm. from this song. And even though, again, it, it is seemingly kind of mean-spirited towards this person again we are talking about i think it's bob talking about himself but again the idea of when you i mean you get to the end of it when you've got nothing you've got nothing left to lose i mean there is that it doesn't sound great when you've got nothing but at the same time you're like yeah but i i'm i'm in a new realm here and i don't know i mean there's not that many songs able to kind of capture that and he was able to do it in these six minutes and that's what makes this song the song
0: yeah, it's the freedom. It's definitely a feeling of freedom, like just like the burst of sound at the chorus. The way he he shouts it out, it's it's beautiful, and the way that he integrates, like you were saying, like this fairy tale language with this very of the people words, like uh, hanging out, everybody that was hanging out. I I feel like that doesn't even have the same meaning as it did in 1965, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, it's, it's these highbrow sort of fantasy ideas and language mixed in with the hard, the hard truth that you're going to learn. Um, so even listening to it kind of makes me, gives me that Bob Dylan feeling of I'm kind of smart. Like I'm kind (laughs) of, kind (laughs) of highfalutin, but also like telling the truth. (laughs) And this song just perfectly does that. It, it weaves the two together. I mean, I thought that napoleon in rags was like referencing a real thing for a long time but no he came up with that phrase um uh, that's just amazing
1: it is good it's a wonderful even if you don't really know what it means exactly even you know for your own personal worldview you're just kind of like i don't know what that means it mm-hmm. conjures up such a wonderful image of you know somebody who is kind of talk about highfalutin but that they're mm-hmm. dressed in rat you know they're not who they appear they're not who they sell themselves to be yeah. You know, um, again, they hope this, the second verse, but they never turned around to see the frowns on the jugglers and the clowns when they all came down and did tricks for you. You never stood it. It ain't no good. You shouldn't let other people get your kicks for you. Mm-hmm. Again, the, that, that rhyme, that sort of internal rhyme that he's doing. And then the, the idea that, you know, this person is letting the crowd, again, this is the way I think Bob's talking to himself. Mm-hmm. It's like you're letting the crowd enjoyed the thing that you should be enjoying whatever that thing is Mm -hmm. you're kind of handing it off to people almost like looking maybe i'm it's crazy here but like you're looking for their reaction and it's in their reaction that you're getting satisfaction and that's that's not a wise thing and that sounds like somebody who is playing to a crowd Mm -hmm. you know like I'm, i'm getting i'm getting satisfaction from them liking what i'm doing but that's kind of not a great way to go
0: That is, I mean, I can count all the ways that Bob Dylan really relates to, you know, the current moment, the younger generation, but wow. Yeah, that interpretation, I think, is spot on. And we're all kind of performing all the time now. And you have to have that moment of realization, like, it's not good. It's not good to let your self-worth come from the audience, come from other people, And yeah, you can get find lots of quotes from Bob around this time where he's like, it's very tiring having other people tell you how much they dig you if you yourself don't dig you. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're saying about, you know, getting getting all that from an audience from a crowd of of any size. And he certainly was having like the biggest crowd of the most mixed reactions at that time. And you have to realize you can't let that dictate who you are. And That line I also feel like can apply to like working in a service industry, like customer service. It's basically the biggest job for younger people and it's replaced industry as the largest, like quote unquote blue collar job. And boy, I tell (laughs) you, these people who have never worked customer service, who don't understand the people who are putting on a performance for them every day, Mm. they are so stupid (laughs) (laughs) you you freaking idiot you don't know that when you treat us bad we're all turning around and talking shit about you that's kind of how i see that you never turn around see the frowns on the jugglers and the clowns when they all did (laughs) tricks for you like we're all here yeah i'll I'll serve you a popcorn or whatever idiot that I, that's where the griping really comes from for me in this song is the perspective of the clowns
1: <laughs> having worked as a worked in retail for many years yeah yeah i i i don't really believe that everyone should be um conscripted into into <laughs> in, into service for any reason because i just don't you know the personal freedoms or whatever that said i do think um, it is very helpful to everyone have worked as a retail, uh, employee in, or in the service industry. That's a, that's a broader, mm-hmm. broader way of putting it. The service industry, just to get an appreciation for what people put up with. Yeah. You know? It's um, the,
0: it's like a class divide in the same way that it appears that like Bob is talking about this higher class young girl falling down on her luck. Uh, you know, it's representing the same thing.
1: When you mentioned you know you feel like younger Bob Dylan fans, um I mean again, I'm not going to try and get you to be like, "Hey, Rebecca, please represent all of younger Bob Dylan phantom <laughs> <laughs> please, you know, I'm sure they all have one homogenous opinion which you are here to express, so I want but i but i I genuinely am fascinated at this because I remembered reading in an interview that Bob apparent again, this is from that Jim Dickinson interview that I quote incessantly on the show about. And he, this is him paraphrasing Bob. So now we're getting this sort of third hand, exactly. So we don't know know, how much of it is true. But it was in the '90s when Bob said that he started, you know, doing the doing the concerts, and he saw that the audiences got more diverse Mm. and they got younger. And he said he felt like, well, I got a new audience, and a new audience deserves new songs and that led in its own way to time out of mind and and you know all the records we've we've done since and you know you could take how much of that is really accurate or not that's again, that's Jim Dickinson's view of what Bob said to him mm-hmm. but you know as a musician as a as a performer it's got to be great to all of a sudden look and say wow I'm reaching people that I never would have thought I would have reached mm-hmm. and you know speaking only for yourself i mean of course like what is it about getting off Rolling Stone a little bit, but I mean, what is it about Bob that strikes you as someone growing up in just, you know, basically growing up in the, in the 21st century and, Mm -hmm. and coming, coming to his work so relatively late in the process. Again, that's everybody's anybody. I got to him in 1989 for a lot of people. That's really late, Mm -hmm. but what is it about him that, that struck you so heavily and how is it that you, He strikes such a chord for someone who is, what, he's, you're probably, what, a third his age, a quarter his age?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, there's so many answers I could give for this. But the thing that initially really captured me about Bob Dylan was this, about this time in his career in the mid-60s, that time paralleled our time so, so well. Um, You know, the civil rights movement, the generational divide, the... The yearning to like create something new is and, and the sense of humor, the absurdity, the, the mod postmodern movement that all really captured me when I was, you know, searching for ways to understand my own time. And I'm so glad I did. Um, because I, I learned, you know, Bob Dylan isn't just his sixties career. He's so much more than that. And his work is endlessly interpretable. So even though I'm saying like it's really relevant to this time now, I think that the lyrics, the ideas can be relevant for, you know, generations to come. There's something I want to say inexplicable about Bob Dylan's artistry, but you know, there have been many books and podcasts into trying to explic it, (laughs) trying to explain why, why it's so good. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to put into words, but. He's funny, he's great at writing music, he's basically like a modern day Shakespeare, mm-hmm. I think. And when when we're so divorced from that initial time of when he became famous, which is like the mythological sixties, and we're not still not as much re stating that canon. Like Bob isn't probably as as big as he's been in the past, we have more of a chance to reinterpret it for our own time. And just like we're doing right now, like you do on the podcast, it's reinterpreting hearing other people's ideas. Um, there, there's so much that anyone can take from Bob Dylan that I'm really glad to be in this time now where um, I can look at everything that's already been said, all the scholarship, all the fandom and, you know, continue to create Something new and find something valuable in his lyrics and artistry.
1: Imagine that would be part of it, and and I, I I think I probably experienced this a little bit myself. When again, when I got into Baba, that was you know 30 years ago. But when you're coming at it so far past mm-hmm. the initial burst, as you talked about, like when he beca- you know he was the biggest thing in the world for a brief period of time. I mean, we, you know we've all seen videos of him playing in front of a sea of people. <laughs> that that he would never be able to play for now you know? They don't even have con- outside of like Taylor Swift. Nobody can. Nobody commands crowds of that size. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a hell of a double bill, by the way. But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, but but there is, and kind of tying it back to this song, there is a sort of freedom, I would imagine, of saying the the takes on this material have come and gone. Some are more valid maybe than others but now i'm as a young fan i'm not i'm not attached to any of that i can just come at it from completely my own perspective and i can i can i can appreciate what's come before the interpretations that have come before the 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 the, the what yeah you know, the the covers of it the different angles of to the song of what it's become in the culture but i'm arriving at it so late that it's it's sort of like wound its way to becoming fresh again in a weird way. Like it, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. Like there's a, there's a period where any object that you own is, you know, you, you own it, right. Or you, you appreciate it. And it's, it's of the moment, but then you wait a little while and it just becomes old. You Mm -hmm. don't want it anymore, but you wait even longer. Then it becomes vintage, you know, then (laughs) it winds its way back to like, Oh, this is cool again. And not that like a Rolling Stone was never, never not cool. There is something about I would imagine coming to this material, you know, in the twenty first century, fresh like that. That is like, oh yeah, I can just judge all this completely on its own. It's totally. just completely separate from all the interpretations that have come to this point.
0: Yeah, if that's there, making any sense at all. No, totally. That's exactly like that's what it is. And there is also this, you know, canon of Bob Dylan that has all these things to say about him like the type of people who have been writing Bob Dylan books are the ones shaping that canon whether it's true or not i mean the the clinton Halens of the world you go to any bookstore and he's the preeminent bob dylan scholar um so these conversations where we are reexamining and looking at the source material can help us create a more nuanced vision of what the music means or what it is like on your panel in Tulsa, you had such great insightful things to say about what is so great about diversity is you can learn something new from people of different experiences. I mean, that's, that's the heart of it. So I really appreciate getting to talk about and getting to offer my own insight into the song into Bob Dylan. um, Cause I think it's really useful to how his legacy will be going forward.
1: Yeah. And it's certainly, you know, we all know about him that, that he regards his work. He's creating, he feels like he's creating his work live every night, you know, every version Mm -hmm. I'm sure in his mind, every version of every song that he's singing, he's probably singing literally right now as we're recording, this (laughs) is just as valid as the one he put down on the record. You know, right. and so, and, and so if he wants to sing like a Rolling Stone tonight, which because he's not doing that on this tour, but if he that like in, in, in that moment, this is the version. This is, it's almost like no other versions exist other than the one I'm singing right this second. And maybe after it's over, history can judge. Nah, eh, that one wasn't, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, who cares versus other versions, you know, but, but in the, the and that's it's, it's a self creating kind of thing. It's a self-recreating kind of thing. And, you know, I will say my favorite version is this version is the studio version simply because I think the performance is so amazing. And we, again, we don't need to get into the, everyone knows the history of the song about that. You know, they recorded a bunch of versions and they got to like, I don't know, 12 of them in one session and they got so despairing that they gave up. And then they did the playbacks and they were, I think it was take four. That they went, oh shit, that, that's the one. <laughs> they were like, that's, we had it. We didn't know we had it. And then, you know, it gets cut into, it gets cut into like an acetate and Columbia doesn't want to release it as a single. And because it's six minutes long and it's kind of angry and they don't think this is a, and then it gets sort of playing, it, gets, it starts getting played in a club. In a, in a, you know, like a dance club, I guess. And imagine listening to this in a dance club.
0: <laughs> I would uh, love yeah. that.
1: <laughs> like, what no does idea. that sound That's like?
0: My dream club. Yeah. Experience. Like,
1: what? <laughs> if we played some Paul Revere and the Raiders, everybody, now is the new <laughs> single by Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> hey, sit, t- sit down, everybody. This is going to be six minutes long. I got to flip it over, by the way. <laughs> but, and then, you know, it, it starts bopping around and Columbia realizes, Oh geez, this is a hit and they put it out. And this ended up charting Bob Dylan's greatest chart success this came in mm-hmm. at number two which is the highest he's ever ranked uh he didn't it didn't get to number one thanks to the beatles help you know guys you had a lot oh, of hit my. singles you couldn't give bob the one <laughs> the one hit single come on. come on give the guy a break come on he yeah. had, had like 75 hit number one singles. <laughs> for Pete's sakes when I listen to this song again every single time that it comes up it feels like I'm hearing it for the first time and like the 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 studio version when he gets to the um I think it's the um I think he does it on the penultimate uh, verse the princess on the steeple and all the pretty people just before he gets to that when it's building right mm-hmm. and he goes and he just yells he just goes ah like <laughs> yes that's like so just good. that and I'm like that's my favorite part of the song just, the, <laughs> just he's so he's the muse has got him so hard or he's got the muse yes. depending on what your point of view is. That he just he doesn't even have the word to verbalize it, it's just this guttural yell, yeah, and the fact that they left it in too, you know that Tom Wilson didn't mm. like wipe that, they were like, no, 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 let's leave it in, to me it's like it's everything Bob Dylan is is that ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs>
0: Yes, that's so good. And I I was going back and watching all the live versions I could on YouTube to prepare for this episode. There's a really great one uh when he's with Tom Petty in the 80s. And he's like a prime Dylan 80s delivery. And it's hitting every, like, every emphasis. He's like, used to get juiced in it. <laughs> it's so playful. And you know... He, he will not play the song unless he can get something out of it. And you can just see him having so much fun. Like now you realize it's so <laughs> bouncy and fun and, and like him at that time, it's his truth. And then later in like the, the MTV unplugged, it's like this older sort of wisdom that's being mm-hmm. passed on the mm-hmm. song. It's not, it's not as nasty. It's more like parental, like you'll yes. figure this out. You'll yes. figure this out when you get there. It's like not so, yeah, not so nasty, but more just this is these are the facts of life that you're gonna learn.
1: <laughs> have you ever heard the 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 bootleg of the MTV unplugged plug concert?
0: Yes. Yeah, I have.
1: Because that's the one with the Rolling Stone that has the, the fake the not the fake, the false ending, the false mm-hmm. beginning. Mm-hmm. Because any, anyone listening who hasn't heard it, uh it's it's really remarkable because he starts playing and it is the slowest like a rolling stone you've ever heard and you're kind of like is he really going to persevere with this because it's really kind of plotting and then he literally stops the song in the middle and he mumbles something about the band being ahead of him or something which i think is i think this is bullshit i don't think this is the band's fault and and you hear someone else yell something and then they start again and they realize that okay and then they pick up the pace a little bit but mm-hmm. it's so funny to hear when you're that, that opening where he's like once upon a time, you dress and you're just like, really is this <laughs> like a go dirge. All six yeah, is this is gonna be all six minutes of this, like Bob, yeah. what are you doing But yeah, you're right, that version is you know like you just said sort of parental, it is like this mm-hmm. this wisdom, and for a song that on the lyrics seems so angry, and I guess at the mm-hmm. at the beginning when it was first came out, it sounded so vitriolic and so mean spirited. But you listen to it now and you were talking about the 80s version, like the playful version. where He's got that mm-hmm. smile on his face <laughs> that it is this received wisdom that he yeah. is imparting you. And then for a song that is so lyrically dense and is long, again, it's like six minutes was, you know, it really broke the broke the back of the idea of hit singles had to be three minutes or under. It's incredibly malleable mm. that he can do so many different versions of it. because, I mean, the version you talked about how much you loved from the 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 albert quote-unquote world albert hall that's the angry one Mm -hmm. you know that's the one where it's like i'm kicking this fan in the face with this this song you know f you (laughs) how dare you okay how about this you know play fucking loud and then it's just this ear-splitting version of
0: so good and there was another one from that tour i think it was newcastle where he's equally like angsty but he's so articulate with the words and he goes like language that he used and it's even that is so cutting in its own different way and yeah it has to remain um important the words have to remain important to him go to him he calls you you can't refuse (laughs) yelling it i love it i love that so much
1: I love how insistent that line is. That go to him now. He calls you. You can't refuse. Just mm-hmm. this, this guy. There's like this guy behind you, just like pushing you. You know, just like pushing in mm-hmm. the back. And you're like stop, stop, stop. And he's, you know, <laughs> when you got nothing, you got nothing. Come, go, go to him. Go to him now. It calls you. And when you, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Yeah. You're invisible now. You've got no secrets to conceal. And I mean, there have been point. You know, we all talk about on the show like their person. You know, our personal connections to the song. At any given point. And, you know, I heard this song when I was a teenager. I didn't, I wouldn't appreciate it as much. And I mean, I was aware of it because it's such a huge song. But then as I got, became a fan of Bob, then I started appreciating a lot more for different reasons. But then I got older and I had things happen to me that if as a younger person, someone had come to me and said, this is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. I would have said, Oh my God, that sounds like I, I can't handle that. I can't deal with that. That sounds awful. That just sounds like my life's over if that happens. But when it happens to you and you come out the other side of it, there is that when you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. Now, I will never state that I've never had nothing. I've always been very fortunate in my life to have people around me, you know, good friends and family and loved ones and things like that. But there have been points where it, you know, it got a little thin on the ground. Mm-hmm. And to hear that phrase, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose, there is this kind of like, Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, bring it on, you know, (laughs) and I can imagine what you were talking about, like, you're imagining this whole life for yourself in New York, which has got to be just this amazing experience for a young person to be living in New York. And then, oh, no, here's a once in a century global pandemic coming on. Deal with that, everybody.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a sense of like, not quite perseverance, but like, This guy knows what I'm going through right now, even though if he's not experiencing it himself, like this has happened probably to everyone. uh, It's it's just like learning, learning a lesson and you're going to get through it. It's not that it's not that cheerful. It's not that Hallmark card, but (laughs) you can you can take that from it depending on where you are.
1: And it, you know it's funny with, with depending on the performance of it, and I mean we're not even going to bother really talking about uh, the covers because there's 40 million covers of the song, obviously, but there would be a way to sing this that would sound like a little bit like a hallmark card. I mean, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not Napoleon and Rags.
0: Oh, I do have some. I, I did find some uh video from The Voice Kids edition where oh, no. this like 13 year old kid. on stage for this like reality show and he sang it and i was just like oh no why would you pick that song first of all it's like two notes you're not gonna showcase your voice singing it unless you're bob freaking dylan
1: oh no (laughs) that
0: made me lose my mind
1: that's 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 uh that's parental neglect there yeah letting your child Oh God! Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh my God! But I I had some more to say about the covers. Oh uh, go
1: go right ahead. I'm sorry. There's yeah, go one. Right ahead.
0: <laughs> there's one. Um, obviously there's. Have you seen the Rolling Stones music video they have for this? I have. Yes. It's crazy. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's like super weird photography effect. It looks almost like AI, like new AI images, and Patricia Arquette is just like acting out the song itself. (laughs) And I think, you know, this is pretty neat in its own way, but it really frustrated me because it's just so limiting to do a literal interpretation of the lyrics. Like, oh, here's her at a fancy dinner. Oh, here's her her on like a basketball court looking homeless. (laughs) I didn't appreciate that that much, but I thought it was interesting.
1: What did you think of that video that they made a couple of years ago? The, the, the kind of out of nowhere, uh, in, interactive video where you yeah. can watch all the different people singing it across different things. And no matter what you do, could change the channel and it would, no matter where you change the video, it would move on to the next verse. I thought it, I, I enjoyed it for its novelty, but I did wonder mm. like what, why now? What is this? <laughs> yeah. Like what is, what a strange choice? Yeah, that was
0: pretty weird. It, I think that I missed it initially and it wasn't up anymore when i was trying to look for it when i was first getting into bob but more recently i came across it and i'm like all right this is pretty cool i mean you see all those random people uh Chumley's <laughs> Chumley's in it you know bob's
1: got a connection to the fun <laughs> yeah. star guys we know that yeah, yeah yeah as
0: good as a novelty i'll i'll
1: agree with that sentiment if you want to see drew Carey from the price is right <laughs> sing lyrics still like a rolling stone that you're uh <laughs> there's something wonderfully perverse about uh you know and typical bob perversity that that version that you love the albert hall version of course did mm-hmm. not get released until the 2000s or the no mm-hmm. excuse me the 90s the first you know officially released live version of the song was the version on self-portrait oh the isle of Wight. Oh, like White. wow wow <laughs> That's the one that he wants to commit to record for everybody to hear is the, <laughs> the is syrupy so voice version at the Isle of Wight. Like, well, okay. That's a choice, Bob.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, there are some of those songs from that album where I'm like, I kind of like listening to that version of that. But I would not say Rolling Stone is one that I would prefer <laughs> out of all no. the ones out there. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's, it of course, it's appeared on not every one of his live albums, but certainly a preponderance of them. There's the version on uh, Before the Flood, which mm. is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an, you know, then that whole tour was like the arena rock version. And it's certainly very powerful and certainly very high energy. And uh, we know Martin Scorsese loved it because it, it's, he uses it as kind of a centerpiece for uh, uh, a short, uh, a short film that he did in the New York stories. Uh, movie with Nick, uh, Nick Nolte and, uh, I think, uh, Roseanne Arquette, actually, I think. Mm. Uh, you should talk about Patricia Arquette and Roseanne Go Arquette. Ahead. I believe she's, she's, uh, with Nick Nolte in that film. And then there's the version on, um, Bob Dylan of Budokan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that record takes a lot of, takes a lot of shots. I'm surprised you haven't come on to defend it yet. <laughs> uh, but I'll say I actually really like that version. Uh, it's very different. It's got sax in it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's somebody... Um, but there's something about the way he plays with the words where he runs them all together. As you were talking about in a very playful way that it, it really changes the song where he sings it, where he says, uh, he sings it like he opens it with like, he's like, uh, once upon a time, he dressed to so fine. he's blowing the bums, of dime in your prime. Didn't you? People Did call, you? i I thought they were all. Didn't <laughs> you? It's just like, it's very fun and playful. Yeah, energetic. Yeah, very, very, very much so. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you said you mentioned the version that's on MTV Unplugged, which is kind of the more parental uh, version. (laughs) John Mellencamp covered it at the 30th anniversary concert, and then of course, finally, it got released on the the uh, the Royal Albert Hall set. Mm -hmm. Is it? Is it? Could be something. Again, I don't mean as to speak for all people your age. (laughs) um, But is there something about that? Is as more and more of our entertainment, or, or that we consume, becomes so commodified, mm-hmm. so corporate, so safe, mm-hmm. that hearing stuff from a guy who is actively telling, actively giving an audience something it doesn't want, is yeah. it feels very like wow, this was a thing. Can you? You can't imagine anybody doing that nowadays. Of actively giving an audience, no. I know you, what you came to hear, I'm not giving you that. I'm giving you this.
0: Yeah. No, it's amazing that getting into like the lore of Bob Dylan at that time was so fascinating for that reason. I mean, it's, it just goes along with the narrative so well of him, you know, rebuking reporters' questions, being funny, like going electric despite it all, despite the booing, all of that. It's really compelling to watch someone follow their artistic truth to the end like that. And, you know, he, he won for it. I mean, we all, we all agree. Bob Dylan is great. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really respect that. And there's something so interesting about the whole narrative that sort of culminates in that and like how Martin Scorsese used it at the end of No direction home. It's like Mm -hmm. wow. He he really did the damn thing. And them calling him (laughs) Judas after he has sung about Judas so many times, and how he uh, if Judas Iscariot had God on his side, like it all kind of calls back to that moment. It's kind of perfect the way his career trajectory was in those early days. And yeah, I I love it. I love it so much
1: it's a song that comes along in his career at like the exact right moment, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Like for him to, you know, be able to, you know, feeling like, well, boy, did, despite all the success he's had. And this is a guy who is coming off of bringing it all back home. You know, I mean, I mean, what most musicians would kill, would give their right arm yeah. to create a record that good. And he's feeling at what? 24? 24, <laughs> 24, 24. That yeah. he's already like, yeah, I think I'm over. This thing might be over. I might be, I might have done all this, done all I can do <laughs> uh, with this, which is just, you know, unreal. And then for this thing to come to him and then being able to, again, to, 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 to distill it down. And this is, of course, one of the songs that gets in its, it, its own installation mm. at the Bob Dylan Center, mm-hmm. where we see all the notes and we see all the, you know, and I'm, I mentioned this on the Tulsa episode, how Bob Dylan can read his own handwriting. It's just a right. remarkable thing because <laughs> I can't, I can't, I mean, my God, his he's got this little plankton size type, but I mean, just to be able to to create this thing and then boil it down to just six minutes. And it's so funny when I was reading over the lyrics for this outside of, you know, we've got the the chorus, this song only has four verses. That's crazy. It feels so much in a good way longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's only four verses. I mean, good Lord, you know, He's got, like, rolling and tumbling, which is this kind of little knockoff blues number. That's got, like, 12 verses. <laughs> like, a Rolling Stone is four. And he's like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. This is it.
0: Yeah, the muse really had him at that point, I would say. And the fact that it was, like, it was released five days before Newport. Like, it was Oof. like, bam, bam, bam. Here I am with the new sound. Oh, we hate it, actually. Uh Well, too late. <laughs> Gotta, gotta keep going and that. And like, yeah, positively fourth street. It was all happening at that time and it's all caught up in that moment and that reaction. But yeah, now that we can really look at the song separate from that, it's like, how, how could he have known so young? All these things about the world. How could he distill it down into this beautiful music? I don't know. He it must have been the muse or something.
1: What is, she, this is, this is off topic, but I can't help it. Uh, what we all know about the, 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 the movie, the Timothy mm-hmm. Chalamet movie yes. that's, that's in production. And it is definitely, a uh, um, great fodder on mm-hmm. uh, Bob, Bob Dylan Twitter for people mm-hmm. to talk about is what is your opinion about biopics of musicians? Where uh, are you pro or I guess you know it could depend on the situation but are you generally pro or con where do you want like okay in this specific instance do you want Timothy Chalamet sings right in the movie when he eventually sings do you want to hear Bob Dylan's voice or do you want to hear Timothy Chalamet's voice
0: you know I really like this specific question I feel like. I I've been asked about this movie for like the past 3 years and it's still not going <laughs> to be a released. As a young person,
1: you are the representative of young Bob Dylan fan. I know.
0: But you know, I have a lot of opinions about it so I'm happy to be asked. Um I trust Timothy. I trust him. I I think that he's great and I know that as far as I've heard about this movie, I have seen Timothy post about Bob Dylan reading all his books. Uh, listening to it nonstop you can see like he posts on his instagram stories he's always got some bob dylan going on even when he was shooting like dune 2 or the wonka movie or whatever (laughs) I, i have faith that him as a young person will have a lot to connect to in creating the character of bob dylan um as far as biopics go it's not great Timing, considering how many we have had just in the past two decades, yep, we did, and it's crazy that it's James Mangold because he did walk the line, mm-hmm. which has already been parodied excellent, excellently in Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox right, Story. Yeah, right. So the fact that he's coming back for more with another icon, I think he will have an uphill battle, especially with us, you know bob dylan twitter (laughs) faction but uh you know i i I don't know how much you could say it's going to be good or not when it it, uh, we haven't seen anything from it and also they just said that timothy is going to be playing 17 year old bob dylan i
1: that made no sense to me because i'm like well did you that wasn't when he was famous so i don't get what that's about
0: what kind of story are they telling here I, we all thought it was just going to be around the Newport thing, the going electric. Yeah. But I guess if they want to show him at that high school talent show where he like <laughs> blew out the speakers and got kicked off the stage, that might be entertaining too. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't know about James Mangold. I don't know what the story's going to be, but I have faith in Timothy Chalamet. I don't think it'll be that hard to do a Bob Dylan. Like as much as it's hard to do, like a, a Tina Turner, you know, mm-hmm. I think he can maybe get through it, but okay. I don't know.
1: We'll okay, see. yeah, I don't know. Sometimes, on um, sometimes, I'm like, like when the uh, Joaquin Phoenix and mm. and Reese Witherspoon when they sing, it they are singing. It's not Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash, and mm-hmm. so to me, on the one hand, I'm like, well, that gives it an authenticity because then mm. it's though, we know those are the actors that are really performing. And when you think about when an actor is playing a musician. Half the time they're singing, you're like, well, God, to, to sub out their voice hmm. is like, you know, redubbing them with a different actor. You're really removing a lot of their tool, a lot of tools out of their toolkit. At the same time, nobody can epoxy uh, Joaquin Phoenix as talented as he is can't do, can't be Johnny Cash. <laughs> right.
0: Cause there's right. only
1: one Johnny Cash. So when Timothy Chalamet, however, I feel about him, and I, I've not seen him in too much where I was like, oh my God, this guy's the next greatest thing. Um, but, You know he can't when he opens his mouth and he starts singing "Once Upon a Time" or he starts singing "Maggie's Farm." It's not going to be the version I want to (laughs) hear. Well, yeah, it's also going to take me out of it because I'm like, well, now I'm hearing Bob Dylan. I'm not watching the actual guy, so I think I'm leaning towards let let Timothy sing and let the chips fall where they may.
0: Yeah, I I I think you should open your mind (laughs) when you enter that theater because you know (laughs) where you know we're all going to get pissed off about something. And that's totally fine. Uh, but you know, maybe there'll be some good in it too. I think it'll be good to get the kids involved to our, to our little <laughs> the fandom. Kids.
1: The, the kids. kids. Eh, why not? Why not? You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one last data point I want to mention about Rolling Stone here is that it has been performed live 2,075 times. It is mm-hmm. second only to, of course, Watchtower as his song mm-hmm. that has been performed the most times. And he has last done it in 2019. He performed it first, July 25th, 1965. So I mean, bang, like right after it was recorded, he had it, he was out doing it. And of course, you know, it's been part of the repertoire forever and it's not always something he can nail down. I've heard lots mm-hmm. of kind of, eh, okay, Virgin. It's, it's, it's a slipperier, slipperier song than you might imagine. And sometimes he's got the energy and the juice, and then sometimes not. And as you talked about, sometimes he can bring, as he ages, a different energy to it. That I love that unplugged version. I really do. I think it's just terrific, and it's sort of warm-hearted in a way that the other ones aren't. And so he can bring different things to it. And uh, But, I mean, man, 2,075 times. That's a... Yeah.
0: And, you know, everyone says, oh, Bob Dylan's not going to play the hits. He clearly does Probably his second most famous song, the second most amount of times. Yep. So how can everyone get mad at him about yeah. that? I don't know.
1: <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a huge mountain to climb. And that, like I said, it's, it means lots of different things to lots of different people. And it, again just listening to listening to it on the radio just a couple of days ago and I mean I've heard the song four billion times, and it just still sounds fresh, and you still sing along to it and it it just there's just something there's this alchemy in there that uh you know kind of only he can figure out, and luckily, you know the rest of us just get to enjoy it. We don't have to worry about the the makings of it. He was able to sort of put it together in his mind and put it out there and it just sounds you know there are, I can't think of that many songs really. That are what 55, 58, 58 years old now. Good Lord. Wow. 58 years. Old. Yeah. That's this, this song is 58 years old. Uh, <laughs> like, wow. you know, imagine listening in 1965 to something from 19, you know, like 13 that you were like, <laughs> Oh yeah, that still sounds fresh. You know, <laughs> yes. like, what? Um, that's completely nuts. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's just, it's just such an amazing accomplishment. It really is. And so. Uh, I'm really glad that you wanted to talk about it because it's like i said it's it all it's so big that it, it it people look at it from all different angles and they come up with something different and so uh I'm really glad that you wanted to discuss it,
0: yeah, if you want to make this into a like a Rolling Stone exclusive podcast, <laughs> I think you would have just as much material <laughs> and then, I'm really glad that I got to talk about it
1: excellent well again, thank you, thank you so much, Rebecca. I always enjoy thank you. talking to you and so I can't remember. I should have done my homework, but I don't. When you were on last, did I ask you the exit question, which was the sessions question? Did I, was I doing that back then? Which was what sessions, what session would you want to sit in on? If it could be any album, any recording session of Bob's? I don't think I asked you that. So let me ask you now. What anything you could sit in on and you could just be a fly on the wall for what would it be?
0: Oh, Hmm. Maybe the rough and rowdy ways sessions with Fiona Apple. Mm. I would love to see how he was sort of conducting the business of creating that album and what his like relationship is like with Fiona Apple. That sounds like something really secret that I would like to know. <laughs> She's that would so be great. Cool. And I feel like they, they would have such interesting things to talk about. Yeah. I, I would hope that, that I could sit on on that.
1: That would be pretty fascinating to watch, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. just like we yeah, have what what do Fiona Apple and Bob Dylan talk about?
0: <laughs> yeah, I want to be part of that.
1: Pretty cool. He's like, Oh, I love that criminal video of yours. <laughs> uh yeah. so well again, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on. Again, it was great to meet you a bit very briefly at the the Tulsa Center. It was just marvelous. And so why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet?
0: Sure. Um, so on Twitter, that's my sort of my beacon where I hold court uh, is I threw the glass. You know, I've heard that people misinterpret that as like, like your eyeball through a glass window, but no, it's who threw the glass. I threw the glass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that has links to everything else I've done. You can DM me, ask about my video from Tulsa or any of the Bob Dylan uh, symposiums. I'd be happy to share. And, uh, yeah, if you want a shirt, uh, that depicts the moment in Hearts of Fire, that is, uh, do you want some eggs? I can get you in touch with that as well.
1: I was about to ask, are you out of stock on the, you want some eggs shirt? I was no, no, I
0: got that, so. plenty. If anyone wants any, <laughs> I would be happy to send it to you.
1: Another equally iconic moment in the man's career, which is the, <laughs> you know, want some eggs. Uh, so, <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Rebecca. I really do appreciate it. Uh, of course, everybody, thank you for listening. And of course, you can find the show or on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And you can find all the back episodes of Pod Dylan on our website, fmpods.com. Um, uh, there's one last thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up here. Uh, most of you have noticed that Pod Dylan moved. From the Fire & Water Podcast Network, which I co-founded in 2016, to the FM Podcast Network, which launched this year and is dedicated to shows about music. Now, When I started the show about seven years ago, uh, I thought I'd casually discuss a Dylan song for like 10 to 15 minutes every once in a while. Uh, just because I love the work so much. And to that point, there wasn't a show like that already out there. Uh, well, it didn't take long for my Dylan obsession to take over. And in just a few months, Pod Dylan went from a very casual thing to an every single week concern, featuring lots of different guests and episodes getting longer and longer because I always wanted to make sure that I was giving each song the respect that it deserved. And then over the years, uh through major life events, good, bad, and ugly, uh, I always made sure to deliver Pod Dylan every week as promised. The show gained an audience much larger and much more involved than I ever would have guessed, and similar to how I respect Dylan's work so much – to do the best show that I can, I similarly uh, respect all of you who listen to what I'm doing week in, week out. Uh, But Pod Dylan was always an odd fit in its original home. So when the offer to join FM Pods came along, I took it. Uh, Because the FM Podcast Network is subscription-based, I finally have the chance to earn a little something back from all the hundreds, thousands of hours of labor I've put into it. Uh, One of the first benefits to everyone, whether you're a subscriber or not, was no more ads. I've always hated them. So I was all too happy to nuke them once we moved over to FM Pods. So if nothing else, uh, you can thank FM Pods for not having to sit through all those terrible ads anymore. Um, I also started doing monthly bonus episodes on subjects that were a little off the beaten path of the show's original mission. Um, They've been a lot of fun, and I plan to continue with them when the right topic comes along. Um, But another step the show is taking, uh, starting with the Saturday, August 5th episode, is that every other show of Pod Dylan will be a free preview with the full episode becoming subscription only. So, uh on those alternate episodes you'll get to hear around 20 minutes for free and if you want to hear the rest you'll need to be a subscriber. Um subscribing to Pod Dylan over on FM Pods is only $4.99 a month. That's only a dollar 25 an episode to see nothing of all the other fine Dylan content on the network. Um you can sign up at fmpods.com or on Apple. Uh, If we can get enough subscribers, it really opens Pod Dylan up to a lot of things that never would have been possible before, like my trip to the Bob Dylan conference in Tulsa just last month. Um, I'll be mentioning this over the next couple of shows just to get everyone up to speed with where the show is going. Uh, I would love to keep doing Pod Dylan for as long as possible, and I hope you'll join me. Uh So again, you can go to fmpods.com or Apple and subscribe to the show there. Um So thanks for listening, and we will see you later. Yeah. Uh, The first time that uh, I heard Bob Dylan, I was in the car with my mother. We were listening to, I think, maybe WMCA, and on came that snare shot that sounded like somebody kicked open the door to your mind from like a rolling stone. And my mother, who was, she was no stiff with rock and roll. She, She liked the music. She listened. She sat there for a minute, and she looked at me, and she said, that guy can't sing. And But I knew she was wrong, you know, I sat there, I didn't say nothing, but I knew that I
0: was listening to the toughest voice that, that I'd ever heard.